Now, we are right in the middle of a stretch of David kings. These are men who hold the title Son of David. We're right in the middle of a stretch of these kings who started out, as, started out well as young men, but ultimately they proved that they were not the son that the Holy Spirit had testified to David that he would ultimately have a man who would be his heir, but a man who would be so holy, so good, a reign so perfect and pure, a kingdom so glorious that this son of David would also be rightly described as divine. And so you can imagine that each time one of the kings in this stretch of history reigned, the godly subjects would have been holding their breath. You can imagine this. They would have been, oh, maybe he's the one. Now, as the author of, of not just scripture, but actually as the author of hif- history itself, God paints history, and he paints a history that creates a longing and a hope for a Messiah, which would be more than we could have ever imagined, and certainly more than we could have produced. And these passages that we're about to read are no different. In a world where this week, this year, we are reminded is shaking ground, ready to burn up at any time, ready to shake and crush people, where people die unexpectedly, where people die en masse, This too is the hope that the Lord insists that we have. That we as the dear children of God would hope for nothing less than the ultimate and great Messiah and his reign, our Lord Jesus Christ. So before we read our text today, I would would ask you to join with me in prayer that the Lord would do this in us. Father in heaven, we hope along with your people of old with the hope that you've instructed us to hope for in the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, the son of David, who is also your son. And as we open your word right now, Lord, I pray that you would wrestle our eyes, hearts, our ears, our attention, our hope off of anything else that it has been resting on and fix it only in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his reign. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first point today is, O for a Messiah with the strength of the Lord. And we start today with the reign of King Uzziah, 11th in the line of David. And I want us to feel the blessings, feel the sweet blessing of a king who reigns in the strength of the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Again, I want us to feel the sweet blessing. Put yourself in that situation and feel the sweet blessing of a king who reigns in the strength of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 26, 1 to 15. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. 
He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecolia of Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabni and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territories of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbel and against the Munites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns for he had large herds both in Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Thus far the word of the Lord. The Lord helped this king, this son of David, this little M Messiah, till he was strong. Did you notice the word, the Lord marvelously helped him? This is a strong king. Now we live in a world, and we will until the Lord Jesus returns to judge living and the dead. We live in a world that swings violently from one side to the other, a world that really wants strong kings, and a world that really hates strong kings. We, there's this sway back and forth. But the more you have terrible enemies, the more that destruction and chaos is a real possibility, the more that life seems precarious, the more you're going to long for a strong king to reign over you and just have power over you and over everyone else. And of course, that king is going to end up being hated. There's no doubt about that. But a good king who is strong, a good Messiah who is strong, that is the dream for the people of God. And God instructs them to have that as their dream. Now, it would be one thing for Uzziah to have wanted good for his people, this 16-year-old king. It would have been one thing for him to want good things for his people. To want to protect them from their enemies. 
to want them to flourish and to be, I really want them to be able to raise their families in, in peace and quiet. But to simply want that, to simply have a heart for that, now that would be very heartwarming, but it would not be very helpful. Uzziah was a king that was not just helped by the Lord, but he was marvelously helped by the Lord to the point that he was a strong Messiah. And that was a strong reign. Now, this was a delightful gift to the people of God by God, a king who had the strength to be able to help them. But the strength was from the Lord. It was a gift of love from the Lord to them because he loved them with a steadfast love. Isaiah's help came from the Lord. In verse 5, it says that he set himself to seek God and that he was instructed in the fear of God. That was the source of this little m Messiah's strength. And so it was also the strength of the people of the Messiah, the citizens of the Messiah. Now, maybe you'll remember that all the way back at the beginning of this historical journey, all the way back in Ruth, which we started at the beginning of this pandemic, you might remember way back in Ruth, who was the great-grandmother of King David, we learned that God had designed the human race in such a way that if they were to fall into sin and find themselves in great despair, he designed them in such a way that they could be redeemed by one man. One man from that family could actually stand in their place to represent them. He designed them in this way. In fact, he actually designed, as we see in the book of Ruth, he designed the whole all the families of Israel that way too. If the family falls, if the family finds himself in despair, maybe squander their inheritance by, by sin or by crime or by bad investments or something like that, he designed each family in such a way that a kinsman redeemer, a head, could actually step in and fulfill all that the family had failed to do, and it actually count for them. He designed the whole race of humanity in this way as well. This is something that's called federal headship or covenant headship. And so Israel here is instructed not just to want the Lord to make each individual strong, not to make everybody strong in the Lord, to have the, the strength to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and your neighbors yourself, not just the strength individually to love God, but they're actually, that, that this is good, they're actually instructed by God to long for that strength from God individually. But more than that, Israel was instructed to long for a head, a federal head, a covenant head, a king, a Messiah, who himself would be strong, who himself would reign, but he would have the strength of the Lord. God's people were being trained to look outside themselves. Yes, for the strength that God gives you to honor him and to trust him. Yes, absolutely. But they were also trained to look outside themselves for a man of God's choosing who had the strength of the Lord. And this, and this man would be able to govern not just them, 
not just himself, you know, self-discipline, but he'd be able to govern the land. This man, this federal head, this covenant head, this Messiah, this kinsman redeemer would actually be able to have the strength to govern the world around them with that strength. And so he would have the strength to bring an end to or at least manage or keep at bay that chaos around them and turn it into peace. See, all this chaos and, 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 and uncertainty in the world around us right now, this is the same kind of thing that Israel would have been feeling. Longing for a man who has the strength to at least keep and manage all that chaos and bring peace. Turn it into peace. Now, to have inner peace in the middle of chaos is absolutely lovely. And many of you can testify that the Lord has done that for you. To be able to have your soul rest in the Lord your God, knowing that I have peace with God. Not just I'm good with God, but he is now with me because Christ has reconciled me to him. God is now no longer my enemy, but he's my father. And oh, isn't it sweet to have that peace in the middle of chaos? You know what's better than that? You know what's better than having peace in the middle of chaos? Peace in the middle of peace. And this is what God instructs his people to long for in a Messiah. To have the strength to be able to manage all that chaos, to push it down, even to get rid of a lot of it. To be able to create a land and, and govern over a land that was as safe and peaceful. And it is the people of God's hope, and it always was, to belong to someone who would reign in the strength of the Lord. That their hope was not that they were their own, but they belonged to a strong Messiah who would govern them and the world around them in the strength of the Lord. Dear Christian, that son of David, who not only gives you the strength of the Lord to trust him and walk in his ways, but also rules with the strength of the Lord, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not only going to give you peace in the middle of chaos, but ultimately, he will give you peace in the middle of peace because he reigns in the strength of the Lord. And so our only comfort in life and death is that we belong to the Lord Jesus and that he is strong. And what does that look like? What does that look like in a land that is ruled by a Messiah who rules with strength? I wonder if you noticed a very small, weird, odd, seemingly out of, out of place, throwaway phrase in verse 10. Did you guys notice that in verse 10? Why does it matter that he loved soil? Did you notice that? Why is that there? That brings us to our second point. Our second point is, oh, for a Messiah who makes the land a beautiful, safe garden for his people. Now, what other men are said to have been men of the soil in Scripture 
who also happened to be the heads of the people. Noah comes to mind. That's said of Noah, right? After he leaves the ark. So to Adam is a gardener. Now when the world was formless and void, you see this in Genesis chapter 1, no place for humans to live, God begins to shape the world. And then he makes a garden, makes the Garden of Eden a place perfectly suited for human flourishing. And there he placed Adam and Eve, there to garden it, in fact, actually to extend it, to keep it, and to guard it. And if you're paying attention with the story, Adam did not guard it very well. He fails pretty quickly to guard that garden with strength from the imposing enemies, from the attacks of Satan. But it was Adam's responsibility as head to guard that garden from the attacks of the enemy so that God's people could dwell in peace and enjoy the love of God there. So too, after the chaos of the flood in which the whole world was inhospitable, right? The whole world is impossible to live anywhere on the world except for the ark. Noah, the head of God's people, He's given a similar charge, isn't he? Noah became a man of the soil, it says, in this new world. And that world had been swept away of all the wickedness, right? All the, all the sinners have been just destroyed. And, and God starts over, essentially, not quite from scratch, but from, from Noah. But this time, the wickedness was actually found inside Noah's garden. In fact, not just inside Noah's garden, but where? inside Noah himself. And he failed to guard the holiness of the land which he was tending. He became drunk from the fruit which God had given him in his garden. And so the chronicler seems to be drawing Israel's attention to the similarities between the land of Judah or Israel and a garden. So the king's role and a gardener's role seem to be very similar here. And that follows the point that we just noted because a Messiah who governs with the strength of the Lord will create and keep a place of peace for God's people to live in and enjoy. A place that's very much like a garden. Did you see that? It's safe. There's watchtowers and there's soldiers and there's walls. He's expanding it where it had shrunk before. He's crushing enemies who are threatening its borders. He's got soldiers fitted with armor and wonderful inventions for protecting God's people in case of an attack. Now that is the fruit of God's marvelous help to make Uzziah strong. Why would the people want a strong Messiah? That's why. So we can live in a garden. The whole country's like a garden. Protected on the outside and flourishing in the middle. In the, in the middle of that, protected by that force and those towers and those weapons, was a land of great herds, of livestock, with much water and large cisterns. A land of great, a, 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 a land with, with farmers and vine dressers with meat and milk and vegetables and fruit 
and wine flowing. Enemies kept far at bay, a sweet place of of rest and peace to enjoy the Lord and his affection and love. That is actually the Messiah's responsibility. That's why the Messiah gets strength. Isaiah did well because he was helped marvelously by the Lord. Christian, this is just a glimpse of the sweet, active, lively rest and peace and beauty of the reign of Uzziah's great descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only peace with God, which is of infinite worth, but also a place of perfect peace and beauty, a place suitable to enjoy the Lord and his love. Now, the story of God's people begins and ends with a garden. I don't know if you noticed that. This is why Brother George read again for us from Revelation. I'll just read a short portion of that. Revelation 21, 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon or uh, moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no uh, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a Messiah with a garden to which Uzziah's is just a mere shadow of. Now his garden extended to the borders of Judah and and a little beyond, but the Lord Jesus' garden, the borders will extend to the ends of the earth. Dear Christian, do not despair when you see chaos and pain and danger and death and disease and destruction and war and earthquakes and rot and mold and corruption and theft and rioting in the lands in which we now dwell. You now have peace. You have the peace of Christ that guards your heart. You have peace with God. You are a child of God rather than an enemy as you deserve And as your father, your shepherd, he does set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. But more than that, because your son of David will have a garden of perfect peace in which to enjoy perfect peace with which you you have with God, you can hope in that 
Not just peace in the middle of chaos, but peace in the middle of peace. A peace which Jesus Christ paid for with his own blood. A place perfectly suited to delight in the love of God. A garden which extends from sea to sea. But unlike Adam and Noah, Jesus will not permit any unclean thing to enter that garden to corrupt it, to cover up his glory or to steal his people's joy. No sin will be permitted. No pain, no sorrow, and no disease. The temple of God, we've walked through this as as we walk through these passages, the temple of God is built to resemble the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that when we walked through that? Temple of God is actually built to resemble the Garden of Eden. There's sculptures of trees and fruits. There's even fierce cherubim angels guarding the Holy of Holies. Just like when Adam left the garden, permitting no one entry. Now, in the temple of God, no unclean person was allowed. No one who had a disease was allowed. No one who had bled recently. No one who had recently touched a dead body. Now, you can imagine that this was a great sorrow for those who had diseases or who had just buried their mom or dad or wife or child. But it actually was gospel. It was actually good news to those same people who now were excluded from the temple. Well, why is that? Because the temple sacrifice is still counted for them, even though they weren't allowed to go into the temple now with their uncleanness and sickness. And so this was God's visible promise to them that one day they will be welcomed into the garden of God. But their sickness and pain and death will not be permitted to come with them. Their Messiah, their God will not be like a fool like Adam was. He will not permit their sin, their sickness, their pain to come to. No, all tears and all things that cause tears will be wiped away. Can you imagine that? Isaiah's reign was glorious, but it just scratches the surface of the great son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, the man whom Mary mistook for a gardener on Easter Sunday. Dearly loved children of God, do not permit yourself to settle for anything less than that. Our third point. Oh, for a Messiah who loves the holiness of God. Now, through the string of Messiahs, God's people are trained to long for a Messiah who loves the holiness of God. So we're going to continue reading in, well, we'll pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 26. Second Chronicles 26. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. His fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him 
with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, you who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priests, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote, And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, He is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Isaiah had done, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But the people still followed corrupt practices. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord and did much building on the wall of Awful. Moreover, he built cities in the hill country of Judah and forts and towers in the wooded hills. He fought with the king of the Ammonites and prevailed against them. And the Ammonites gave him that year a hundred talents of silver and 10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 of barley. The Ammonites paid him the same amount in the second and the third years. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And Jotham slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Thus far, the word of the Lord. See, when Uzziah was strong, with the strength of the Lord, he grew proud to his destruction. His pride blinded his eyes to the holiness of God. Now, in this temple, it is designed to mirror the the Garden of Eden, right? But there are actually different sections, kind of like a Russian doll. Now, the smallest was the Holy of Holies. No one goes there except once a year. The, The high priest can go there, but only after rituals to cleanse and a sacrifice or he's gonna die. So once a year, Holy of Holies, only one man. And then comes the holy place, where only priests could be. And then beyond that, the different courts of the people. And in those courts, the outer courts even, you could only attend if you were not unclean. So King Uzziah, strong in the Lord, having built and tended the country as a glorious garden of peace for God's people to enjoy God's love and affection. He's done mighty things for God and for his people. 
He's blinded to God's holiness. And he's also blinded to his own uncleanliness, to his own sin and filth. Isaiah forgot that the reason that God was his God was not because his sins were few, but because God's mercy was more. And so he makes a beeline for the holy place, right? The second place in this Matryoshka doll, this Russian doll, sort of a, a setup. He makes a, a beeline for the holy place to the altar of incense, to offer incense there, and he's forbidden to come there. He was not invited there by the Lord, but it was where he wanted to go. And he saw no reason that he couldn't go there. So brave Azariah, the priest, along with 80 other courageous priests resisted the king and likely also the king's soldiers. And they warned him for his good. And instead of recognizing God's holiness, recognizing that the temple is always a place where nobody belongs other than God's invitation, rather than recognizing his own sin, he became angry with those priests. And implied here is that he was looking to attack them to take his place in the temple by force if necessary. And the Lord strikes him with leprosy and he picks the most conspicuous, obvious place to do that. Smack dab in on his forehead. Now what part of the temple is Uzziah allowed to be in? None. The priests quickly rush him out of the temple. And he himself, did you notice, he's like, I got to get out of here as well. Both he and the priests agree, get me out of here quick. And he remained outside the temple for the rest of his life. Now, he didn't become sinful with that leprosy. He didn't become a person who didn't deserve to be in the temple with that leprosy. Everybody who's ever been in the temple was a person who didn't deserve to be there except the Lord Jesus. But what happened with that leprosy is the Lord was actually signifying the fact that he had always been unclean. He had always been sinful. And anytime he had ever approached the Lord, it was by grace. So he's excluded from the house of the Lord. And Uzziah now sees visibly what was already true and always true is that God is holy and his people are sinful. And in the year Uzziah died, God called a prophet who would speak glorious prophecies about the great son of David and his garden and his rule and his reign and his peace. This prophet's name is Isaiah, son of Amos. And his rising to the office of prophet is eerily similar to the downfall of Uzziah's fall in his office of king. So we've just got to go to Isaiah 6. Turn, to me, turn with me to Isaiah 6. See the similarities of these two stories. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, those are angels, 
each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And at the house, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Thus far the word of the Lord. So Isaiah, the prophet, he's in the temple and he sees what is true and what is normally hidden from our eyes. The splendor of the Lord and his glory and holiness. The train of God's robe alone fills the temple. Angels, the most glorious creatures created, are, they're fitted with extra wings to cover their faces and feet because of the holiness of God. It's just, it's just too much. It's just too glorious. They're calling back and forth from one to, to one another, crying, holy, holy, holy. Not just holy. God's not just holy. And he's not just holy, holy, which means very holy or holier, but he's holy, holy, holy. He's holiest, not just holier than everyone else, but the holiest you could possibly be. Holy to the infinite, infinitely pure, infinitely clean, infinitely glorious. Pure and perfect. And, and what is Isaiah's response? His sin is exposed. Notice, Isaiah didn't get leprosy on his forehead. He didn't become unclean. No, Isaiah, seeing the glory of God, realized how sinful he had always been, leprosy or not. His sin is exposed, seeing the glory of God. Now, in Zeus's temple, you might feel poor. But in God's presence, in the face of his glory and holiness, you feel your sin. Now, comparing yourself to other humans, you might feel kind of holy compared to how bad you could have been or how, you, how bad you used to be. You, you might feel kind of holy. 
If you think of some of the things you've done for God or the church, maybe you feel pretty holy. But if you would see the holiness and perfection and goodness and glory of God, you would feel undone. Isaiah's response is to cry out, Woe is me. It's not woe. Woe means cursed. Damned am I. He recognized what Uzziah did not in the temple that day. God's holiness and his own sin in comparison to God's holiness. His own sin and his people's sin are exposed. And I want you to notice what God's response to Isaiah was not. He did not say, no, you're not. Neither did he say, it's not that bad. He also didn't say, I'm good at overlooking sin. Sin doesn't matter. Didn't say any of those things, did he? He sends an angel to take coal from the altar and he touched it to Isaiah's lips. God's response was not to ignore or make Isaiah's sin less, but to atone for Isaiah's sin. Not to deny it and not to overlook it, but to actually atone for it. Now, Isaiah the prophet would later be one of the, would be the one who would speak arguably the most clear promise of how the sin of God's people would be atoned for, not by a coal on somebody's lips. In Isaiah 53, he prophesies that the great son of David, the great servant of the Lord, the great Messiah, would take on the sins of the people and be damned for them, to be woed for them and be crushed by God instead of them. Not to deny that God has wrath towards sin and that he is holy, but to take the wrath of God for his people's sin. Jesus Christ, the great son of David, he would love the holiness of God and he would not deny God's holiness. He would take his people's sin on a cross so that whoever believed in him would have their sins not ignored, but atoned for, punished and paid for by another. And God proved that this is what was happening by raising Jesus, the great son of David, from the dead. Did you notice the difference between Uzziah and his son Jotham? Do you notice the difference there? Jotham continued in what his father had done, building and gardening and fortifying and guarding in the strength of the Lord. But in verse 2, you notice... He did not enter the temple of the Lord. Now, this likely means that he did enter the temple, but not the part of the temple that his father had sinned by entering. The holy place. He loved the holiness of God. He saw his unworthiness, and he only came at God's invitation. Jotham's response to receiving strength from God, it shows that strength that God gave to Uzziah was not the problem. His pride was the problem. His inability to see his sin in comparison to God's holiness. And to to put it in other words, because Jotham saw and loved the holiness of God, he would have sung what his father did not sing until maybe after he got leprosy. My sins are many, but God's mercy is more. 
which is why I'm invited to call upon him in the courts of the temple, because he has atoned for my sin. I want to say a word to the unbelievers here. Your sins are many, as are mine, and Jotham's, and Isaiah's, and the person sitting next to you. And if you were to stand in God's presence and see his holiness, you'd clearly see that. You'd say like Isaiah, woe is me. You'd notice that you're damned. You would be undone. Now it is a fool's hope to think that your sin will be overlooked because you tried your hardest or because you had a pretty bad life or because maybe you're better than others or maybe your good deeds somehow erase the bad or maybe that you go to church. This this would be foolish because when you stand before God, you're not going to be compared to others. You're not going to be compared to who you could have been or who you were, you're going to be compared to God. God doesn't overlook sin. He punishes it like a just judge. But he has provided atonement, a substitute to take your place, the Lord Jesus Christ. So call out to God for mercy and trust in the death of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead on the third day. Repent, recognize, and renounce your sin. And by faith in Christ, that his death atones for your sin, and that it counts as your own damnation and punishment. And your sins will be forgiven because Christ was punished for them. Remember, the Lord created the human race in such a way that if they fell, and if he provided a man to stand in their place, it would count, he could redeem, not just one person, but a multitude. So repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, our fourth point, oh, for a Messiah who opens eyes, ears, and hearts of his people. Now you notice that Jotham receives a good report as Messiah, or little m Messiah, right? As a man holding the title of son of David, he has a good report. He also became mighty, but it didn't undo him, like it undid undid his dad. But his Messiahship is also flawed. Did you notice how his Messiahship is flawed? Did you notice that? He, He can't be the one. He's not the great son of David. He's not the Messiah to end all Messiahs. He's not the son of David to end all sons of David. In verse 2, do you see this in verse 2 of chapter 27? But the people still followed corrupt practices. Now, we're not told why this is. We're not told, maybe it's, maybe it's that he just didn't care about the people's holiness. He only cared about his own, maybe. Maybe it's that he really did care. He tried, but he just, he couldn't get them to listen. He couldn't get them to follow. We're not told. But either way, his messiahship fails in this Regard, he couldn't turn the hearts of his people toward the Lord. He couldn't do it. We got a sense of that in Isaiah's prophecy, didn't we? In Isaiah chapter 6, we saw that as well, right? Blind eyes, deaf ears, hard hearts, blocked. Until what time? Isaiah, how long? Until the holy seed is reduced to a stump. And then from that stump is going to come a shoot. 
And that shoot is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. And so Israel and Judah are going to be reduced. They're going to be cut down just like a tree is cut down, right down to the roots, almost nothing left. And so too is that line of David, the sons of David, the messiahship of David, reduced to basically nothing, a stump. And when it looks like it's just a stump, the stump of Jesse's going to have a shoot. That's when it's going to happen. And that Messiah is going to be able to open the hearts and eyes and ears of his people. You could have been a citizen of Jotham, not Gotham City, of Jotham. You could have been one of Jotham's citizens and have a heart that didn't love the Lord. You could have been one of his people, one of his subjects. But with the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't. You're one of his citizens, you get a new heart. Now, some of Jotham's people did love the Lord. They did have hearts that the Holy Spirit had renewed. But you could be one of his citizens without a heart that loves God. But the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, all of his subjects, every single one without exception, will have a heart that loves God. He will make them alive. He will regenerate them. He will give them new life. He'll make them spiritually alive. He'll give them new hearts, free from sin's blinding and enslaving power. Hearts that see the glory of God and love it. Hearts that long to be holy. Hearts that love God as they were made to do. I want to say a word to the church people here. If your only desire for Christianity or for Jesus is to be forgiven, but you do wish to continue in sin, you haven't yet become a Christian. You're actually hoping that Jesus will fail just like Jotham did. You actually prefer the messiahship of Jotham to Jesus. people of the great Messiah, the Lord Jesus, want to be cleansed from their sin. They want to be forgiven and they know they need to be. But they also want him to turn their hearts to God. They want to be made new. They no longer want to live as enemies. They want to live as God's dearly loved children. And he turns no one away who calls on him for that. Every single one who comes to him for forgiveness and renewal he says yes to. So dear brothers and sisters, if you have seen your unworthiness, your sin and your guilt, and you recognize that you stand condemned before a holy God, and you forfeit any other way of trying to atone for your sin, and have only one plea, that Jesus died for you, then you have eyes that are open. You wouldn't believe that without the Lord Jesus giving you the spirit. You wouldn't want that. You wouldn't love him. And so if you do have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can rest assured that you have a permanent place in his eternal kingdom, which Uzziah's great and glorious and safe and flourishing kingdom is just a 
just a mere shadow of. A place that he keeps evil and sin and sickness and death and sorrow out of. But where he lets you in, a sinner, because he had already died for your sins. And so in a world where all chaos seems to be breaking loose, you have a garden which will extend to every square inch of this world, governed by a Messiah with perfect strength, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. So do not settle. Do not let your heart rest. Be satisfied in anything that is in competition with that for beauty or rest or security or joy. Do not settle for anything less than the great son of David and his kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice that you have given us a better Messiah than Uzziah, better than Jotham, but one who provides for us and governs a perfect place in which to enjoy you. You who are the most enjoyable and delightful. And Lord, I pray that you would set our hopes only in that, to be with you in your presence forever. And Lord, that you would set our plea for that as only the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would long for holiness and that you would provide it for us that we would turn from sin when we see it and that we would trust that you have paid for it with the blood of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would come soon to fully establish your kingdom where we can enjoy you for as long as Christ deserves it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.